Hi folks, I'm Alan Watson. This is Carrying Through the Matrix on February 3rd, 2012. For newcomers, I always suggest you make use of the free audios for download at cuttingthroughthematrix.com where I try to patch together the big system that runs the world and plans the future. And really, we're just going through part of their plan right now. And this part was planned an awful long time ago. So the world's run by script, basically. Scripted, and of course, it's quite easy to create an artificial perception of things via the media. That's part of his job, of course. It's the big part of his job, and to stop you from really stopping and put your heels in and say, "Wait a minute here, let's go back and find out where all this started and who started it and what was their purpose and where are they going." And of course, I, I really fill a lot of that in at cuttingthroughmatrix.com if you go into the archive section. So there's, there's books put out there by the big players themselves who took part in structuring the future world that we are now in today and the future world to come. So it's not that difficult once you understand the big plan, why things are, are happening the way they're happening. So help yourself there. Number two, all the sites listed on the com site are the official sites. There's my official sites. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, anything outside of it. Own it, I should say. Anything outside of that. And they all carry audios, but they all carry transcripts in English for print-up as well. For a lot of the talks they've given, not all, but a lot of them. And you can go into Alan Sentinel.eu for transcripts in other languages for print-up. So, as I say, what we do here is chronicle the events as we go through them. And because really we're not fighting anything. We think we're fighting something. But most of us don't know even what's happening. They think they do from the media, but they're giving you daily little things, decisions by the day. And you think it's, it's just, we just live in a world where it's like going through a, 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 a cow field. You're just avoiding the patties, you know, jump, jump. Oh, oh no, a student one. Blah, blah. That's, how, that's how the media makes you think we're going through uh, into, down into the future. Nothing is further from the truth. It's all planned this way. All the wars were planned many years ago, the ones we're going through today. And, uh, and wars passed as well, for that matter. So uh, what I try to do is chronicle the events leading up to the next part of what they call themselves the New World Order. It's a new order of things, uh, a post-democratic authoritarian society, basically a planned society. Experts rule you all right down to the little politburos in your local councils. They all have a lot of power, more than they ever had before, and that's who's running your life for you, all through a global structuralized system. Number two, you can buy books and discs from me at cuttingthroughthematrix.com to keep me going because I'm not, uh, I don't bring on guests that are advertisers really and, and, and fool you into thinking I'm, I'm going to have a, a long chat uh, just for the, the, the sake of it with someone because generally that's advertising and you're listening to an hour's ad sometimes. So I try to keep it brief and to the points and you can buy the books and discs and keep me going if you want to. And... From the U.S. to Canada, you can purchase using personal check 
or an international postal money order, or you can use PayPal. Across the world, you've got PayPal once again, MoneyGram, and Western Union. And straight donations, straight donations are awfully, awfully welcome too. But as we know, I think, I think people are catching on. There's more people catching on to this big system. And when you go back into the, even the history of the 20th century, you'll see it all starting up at the beginning of the 20th century more openly than it there ever was before. And you'll see the big foundations, the groups, the clubs, sometimes they call themselves as well, that got together and, uh, and basically planned the future to serve themselves, of course, and to make you a more compliant uh, individual and, and preferably broke too. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and all the media there it belongs basically from the top level to the Royal Institute of International Affairs and its sister organization, CFR. And they have CFR groups across the world. It doesn't sound too good in the U.S. to say the, the Royal Institute of uh, International Institute of America, for instance. So they call it the CFR, and uh, they have their main office in New York. Although they've got another one opened up now too. But uh, they run all the media, and, and of course, uh, uh, you don't join the, the CFR. You have to be asked to join it, but, and you're tested long before that, too, in bars where all, all these types generally hang out, their own particular bars, uh, all the media bars, and they're tested out on what they think about things long before they're actually asked to make sure they're the right stuff. But uh, they haven't had much problem up until now, in fact, doing it. I don't see foresee any problems in the future. But the BBC, of course, is one of the biggest uh, propaganda arms of uh, the elite who run Britain, and there is an elite who runs Britain. It doesn't matter what government's in, it doesn't matter at all. And the BBC, when it first came out, was for in World War One and its radio to, to try and encourage more men to go and sign up and go and get killed in the mud. And... They were awfully good at that too. But they found techniques to alter people's behavior. Remember, Skinner said that to alter behavior in a society or a population, you must insert something new, some object new into their environment, and that alters the behavior. And it sure does, because uh, they would give you cereals, they called them. They were the first ones to come out with cereals, cliffhangers, so what happened to, to, to Joe? Did he fall over the cliff or is he still hanging by his nails? Children tomorrow at 2 p.m. So a lot of the women would do that. They would come home and make sure they're at home to listen to what happened to poor Joe, you know, the good-looking guy and all that stuff. So it, it started to alter people's behavior. But then started many, many other techniques into it too. And then by World War II, people like um, George Orwell had, was in charge of the, one of the main propaganda departments of the BBC, and he really knew his stuff. He, he actually wrote about it too, uh, and how they would deceive the public on so many things, not just of one country, that BBC India and BBC this and BBC that. So they're all over the globe at the time, and they gave appropriate propaganda for each country that was potentially an ally or had been conquered by the foe, as you say. So 
it's interesting that nothing has really stopped. However, the BBC traditionally has been staffed by people from Eton to make sure it's always kept in the proper hands. And what always stumps people is why would these Etonians from the upper crust, uh, the young ones, always be pushing for globalism, a global government, and what seems to be Marxism, etc. Well, you see, their parents profit an awful lot through globalism because they're, they're up there with the big money boys, the exchangers and everything else, and they get all these benefits from the taxpayer to that get add to their funds, which they put into uh, basically big deals coming up through the United Nations. If you want to make money, look at the United Nations. They have, they have annual meetings for investors, generally it's charities, they call themselves, or special types of investors, women's investors. Uh, they all get uh, links to it. And uh, they know when, when the UN tells them, oh, by the way, it's not just Brazil, it's up and coming. We're going to sink a lot of money into into this country or that country. And then and even tell them what, what areas... Uh, clothing, whatever, and of course they get the leads in how to invest their own cash, you see. So everything works for the for the same people over and over again. And that means if the government's backing you uh, and uh, and the UN's backing you, they're all backing you with dollar for dollar, maybe, maybe $10 to one, in fact, to make sure your business will take off, you're going to get an awful lot of money. It's guaranteed. So, anyway, getting back to the BBC, it says here that... Uh, uh, the BBC was accused yesterday of becoming the propaganda arm of the European Union after it admittedly uh, pocketed nearly three million pounds in grants from Brussels, that's the EU Parliament, since 2007. But last year, too, they took money from the CIA. Do you remember that one I read on the air, too? So they're working. See, we're, we're global now. We are global. So you're dealing now with, with uh, Britons in the EU and so you've got this big parliament with this massive propaganda campaign. It's always on a campaign for propaganda, Marxist again. And and then you have the U.S., uh, the people still call fascists, but it's not really. It's a combination of fascism and socialism. It's communistic, uh, basically. And uh, and communism does live, allow millionaires and multimillionaires to live within communism, if you didn't know that. <laughs> It says, uh, the corporation has also revealed that this commercial arm uh, has borrowed more than £141 million from the European Investment Bank since 2003, and £30 million is still due to be repaid by the end of May this year. The disclosure sparked fury amongst members of Parliament, and they always have this fury stuff because they, they put on a good show in, in Britain. Have you ever heard them arguing? It's the kind of cat, this kind of cat calls and ho, 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 and whistles and so on and campaign groups who questioned BBC impartiality. Details of the financing handouts were disclosed in a letter to Conservative MP Carl McCartney, who obtained the information through a parliamentary question. It says, um, uh, UKIP MEP Paul Nuttall says, the old joke that the BBC is a Brussels Broadcasting Corporation may be true after all. And questions have been raised about the uncritical tone of the BBC's EU coverage. There are a rah-rah team uh, everything the, the EU does is wonderful, wonderful. You know. David Cameron's historic veto of an EU treaty at the end of last year was reported from this perspective of Brussels rather than the British taxpayers who pay the wages of the BBC's vast army of correspondents and executives. And do they ever have a vast army? In 2010, Jonathan Charles, the BBC's former Brussels correspondent, admitted he and the BBC got carried away by the launch of the, the Euro the money system in 2002. 
and Eurosceptic uh, think tank Global Britain found that over the past six years, just 0.04% of coverage on Radio 4's uh, Today program was devoted to the potential benefits of withdrawing from the EU. And it's all for global warming and tax the people, the peasants and, and all that kind of stuff. So you find out that everything is propaganda, you see. From every source, in fact, is propaganda. And it's up to you to find out who's saying what and why they're saying it. And uh, what have they omitted? Because generally through omission, you're misled. It's giving you part of a story, but not the rest. A BBC spokesman says, Grants from the EU make up a relatively small portion of the total figure. The vast majority of EU grants are used for research and development. (laughs) And... BBC News does not receive any grant funding from the EU. Impartiality and balanced reporting is and always will be of paramount importance for the BBC. So they're, they're doing the straight line stuff. They don't receive anything, blah, blah, blah. Um, it says, last year emerged the BBC's little-known international development arm had picked up £15.5 million in EU grants since 2007. So they've been taking grants from across the world, but mainly, again, from a parliament, this EU parliament, that's no parliament at all, is communist, and also from the CIA funding to put out their propaganda as well. This is uh, the money has been handed to the BBC World Service Trust, and they put themselves registered as a charity. That's what they all do, even the big foundations, like John Soros, they fund up all these armies of NGOs. Set up to run the corporation's massive overseas aid operation. A £2.3 million EU handout went to a BBC project to assist digital switchover in Serbia in 2010. One particularly obscure project was to unblock the cocoa value chain in eastern Sierra Leone. It must be for Soros because he got rented that big time and chocolate too, by the way. That's why it's going up next this year. It's going to skyrocket now that Soros has got the command of the chocolate market. There is real stuff, not, not, not the stuff you buy in the stores, you know, the your grocery store. So anyway, all, all major media is part of the Royal Institute of International Affairs that planned the whole world agenda a long time ago. And, uh, and of course, it's Marxist in concept with, uh, for the public, that is. They want you to be run on a Marxist agenda with masses of bureaucracies and committees, committees, committees for everything, you see. Just exactly the same way as the Soviet Union. Committees on environment, committees on your local council. Uh, that's, a, that's a Soviet system. But above them, it's exactly what Lenin says, it's a combination. They, they blend together into capitalism with socialism, and out of it comes this new system. Basically, it's just a two-tiered system of the, the fascists at the top, the big bunny boys, and we all run down below on a communist, uh, socialist uh, basis. That's how it is. And we're really treated like peasants now, eh? There's just too many police uh, accounts of them beating up people in the papers to bother reading anymore. And we're getting used to it. We adapt so quickly. The more we hear, oh, well, you know, <laughs> oh, well, that's how it works. Another article, too, from Foreign Affairs, that's the Council on Foreign Relations magazine. It says the NDAA makes it harder to fight terrorism. The only terror I've seen is, is the government's people on their own people because I don't see any terrorists around. But it's a reign of terror. I've called, I don't call it the war on terror. I call it the reign of terror. They always have a reign of terror when they want to quickly adjust society into a new, a new system. And has this ever, eh? The recently signed NDAA confirms the president's authority to detain terrorists in military custody without trial. 
That's Americans too. The bill's proponents consider it a boon to counter-terrorism efforts, but will only hinder intelligence collection, chill information sharing amongst local, national and international law enforcement agencies, and alienate the American Muslim community. Well, they don't care about the Muslim community. Uh, if I either need them there, so they can always give you photographs of them shouting something at you. Uh, and they do. They set them up to do that. Despite his earlier threat of a veto, President Barack Obama signed the National Defense Authorization Act of 2012 into law on the last day of 2011. The bill, which is sponsored by Senators Carol Levin and John McCain, had bipartisan support, passing in the Senate by 86 to 13, with one abstaining. I think the one upstairs didn't know what country he was in. He got off the wrong plane, I think. Uh, maybe from the EU. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, going through the NDAA from the Council on Foreign Relations uh, point of view, because they, they put out their magazine Foreign Affairs, you see, and they go on to talk about the, how, how basically it says um, it, it's going to allow, you know, it's going to allow more and more citizens to be arrested and put into military prisons. They don't have separate prisons for, for an in-between type of prisoner. Uh, so, so they're going into military prisons and have been all along, uh, before they go off to Guantanamo or elsewhere. So it's, uh, it says here that the, the, the second, the government should choose to interpret the bill's added language as merely exempting U.S. citizens from the requirement that terrorist subjects, uh, suspects be held in military custody, leaving their actual treatment to the discretion of their president. In his signing statement, Obama promised this administration would not authorize indefinite detention without trial, trial of American citizens. But it tells you above this that he actually did. <laughs> He'd never lie to you, would he? He's such a nice guy. Yeah. But anyway, the, the, so I'll put this links up tonight to cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And this article here I read on the air, and pretty well nobody emailed or asked about it or whatever. Although other talk show hosts always mention it the day after, but it's about um, it's from Wired, and it's about how the Air Force is going to get a social radar, social radar to see into hearts and minds, and it's very important this article because you see you have no idea how far the technology has gone already. They already have the pulse of the public. They know if they get a bit moody about something or a bit ticked off about something uh, immediately through the, the massive computers they use that we all go through, by the way, and, um, and, and they've got their pulse on every topic that could be. And they know how many folk are complaining at one thing, two, second thing, third thing, uh, immediately. So they've got instant, instant. You should take them thousands of spies to do that, insert it in your, in your, in your cities and towns and so on. But now, of course, and even going round bars, that was a favorite one for a couple of hundred years. But uh, now they've got instant access to what's going on amongst the population. So it says, Chief Scientists of the Air Force usually spend their time trying to figure out how to build better satellites or make jets go insanely fast, it says. Which makes Dr. Mark Maybury, today's chief scientist, a bit of an an outlier, it says. He'd like to build a set of sensors that peer into people's souls and forecast wars before they erupt. They're talking about internal strife, too. 
Maybury Cross's vision social radar, and the comparison to traditional sensors is no accident, he tells Danger Room at Wired. The Air Force and Navy in this and other countries have a history of developing sonar to see through water, radar to see through the air, and IR, infrared, to see through the night. Uh, well, we also want to see into the hearts and the minds of people, said Maybury, who serves as a top science advisor to the Air Force's top brass. But social radar won't be a single sensor to discover your secret yearnings. It'll be more of a virtual sensor, combining a vast array of technologies and disciplines, all employed to take a society's pulse and assess its future health. I mean, that means you're going to be a problem or not. It's part of a broader Pentagon effort to master the societal and cultural elements of war, an effort that even many in the Defense Department believe is deeply flawed. The first step, uh, my, tw- my Twitter feeds for uh, indications of upset. They're going to mine them, mine them. Twitter feeds for indications of upset. But now we know that, too, they're doing an airport, just look at your expression. Oh, my God, he's, he could be angry. What is he? Is he conf- it's probably somebody who's totally lost in a railway station somewhere, you know, if it's his first time there. But anyway, it won't matter. He'll get his arms twisted by his back and tased if he doesn't comply and, and give his whole life story. So it says here, we're supposed to provide ISR, says Maybury, using the military acronym for Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance. But our constituents say, don't just give me a weather forecast, Air Force, give me an enemy movement forecast. What's that about? That's human behavior. And so we need to understand what motives individuals and how they behave. It says, Maybury dressed in his preferred outfit, a double-breasted black blazer and silver rectangular glasses, discussed his social radio notion as part of a 90-minute interview in his Pentagon office, his native Massachusetts accent growing thicker as the discussion drew on. An artificial intelligence and language processing specialist, he's been working for the military on and off since the mid-80s, but as the counterinsurgencies in Iraq and Afghanistan wore on, he found himself drawn further and further into what he calls the human domain of combat. It says, in the last few weeks, the Pentagon may have downgraded counterinsurgency in its strategy revamp, but they need to spot potential trouble spots early and understand how American actions might impact those restive populations. It clearly isn't going away. It says, U.S. Special Forces still training foreign armies and impacting the people of those countries. The shadow wars continue from Yemen to Pakistan to Mexico, and the geopolitical chess match with China will require deep knowledge of all the pieces on the board. So they use biometrics and so on to identify individuals. Maybe noticed in his original 2010 paper on the topic for the government-funded MITRE Corporation, using sociometrics uh, will pinpoint uh, groups. So they use all your Facebooks and your, your chat rooms and your forums. They've been doing that since the beginning, by the way. Facebook timelines, uh, political polls, spy drone feeds. Yeah, they've got a lot of spy drones out there. Relief workers uh, reports and infectious disease alerts should all pour into the social radar. Maybe writes, helping the system keep tabs on everything from carbon monoxide levels to literacy rates to consumer prices. And just as radar needs to overcome interference, camouflage, spoofing, and other occlusion, so too social radar needs to overcome denied access Censorship and deception, he writes. So I'll go on with some more of this after this break. It's very important because it's very much like uh, Eagle Eye, the movie. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about this new system. They claim it's new, it's probably very old, or taking over from an older system. But anyway, it says, Maybury notes that there are efforts underway at the MITRE Corporation that could help make a social radar real. For instance, there's a forum and blog-threaded comment analysis called FabTac Project, which analyzes online discussions for intelligence and operations. So you're all getting listened to, and who you are, and all the rest of it. There's Exploring Soft Power in Weblogistan, it says, which developed foundational Farsi and Dari language processing tools to enable analysis of large volumes of social media content. Most importantly, the language processing specialist says new tools are coming online to perform what's called sentiment analysis, identification of whether a particular status update is positive or negative. Analyze those sentiments and aggregate to see if people are generally content. It's all about us, folks and associate those feelings with particular geographic regions. And maybe it believes you've got the start of a social radar. And then, of course, they'll, they'll work on that area that's a bit upset about something or ticked off with a politician, whatever it happens to be. So it says he even developed a mock-up of a social radar desktop complete with a heat map for tracking relative happiness. This is no kidding. I mean, I've read a lot of stuff from the psychological and neuroscience magazines about this. Because they're really into uh, this new system, by the way. Uh, this is not mat- it doesn't matter how less you have. This is called in the Great Transitions. This, this period is called the Great Transitions. Look it up. And they talk about if, as long as we can make you happy, uh, then that's all that matters. Not, not about having food to eat. or not just happiness, you see. And uh, this is where they're going with it all. So it's a mock-up social desktop complete with a heat map for tracking relative happiness, you know. Uh, the Air Force's chief scientist isn't alone in this effort. Over three years, the Pentagon has spent more than $125 million on dozens of projects meant to better quantify, model, and eventually foresee the human, social, cultural, and behavioral dimensions of conflict. That's right down to the home setting, folks. Several of these HSCB systems are now in use in U.S. military units across the globe. DARPA's Integrated Crisis Early Warning System, for one, is being expanded to cover six of the Defense Department's geographic commands, covering 175 different countries. Yet with the Pentagon, there are deep divisions over the program's efficacy. Project supporters have marshaled evidence to demonstrate the validity of its approach, notes one's recent internal review of the HCSB projects, while critics have pointed to deficiencies in the scorekeeping method that exaggerate the accuracy of ICQs, they call ICWS forecasts. Well-respected retired generals and top military officials have rejected as hopeless the idea that human societies can be effectively modeled or that human behavior can really be forecasted. They are smoking something they shouldn't be, retired Lieutenant Paul Van Ripper, who famously equipped the science magazine when this push began. Now, you've got to take this all into to its proper aspect with um, the Internet of Things, as they say, with chips embedded everywhere. You can't walk anywhere without uh, some ad j- jumping out at you and shouting something about, do you want this or not, etc. And... Um, it's all, it's all combined with you voluntarily giving it all information on a daily basis of what you're thinking and what your correspondents are thinking and sharing it all or criticizing or whatever. It's all, they've been doing this for years. Doing it for years. And also, there was a banking giant accused of laundering billions. It says, ex-employee in New York has 1,000 pages of customer account records. It says, a former employer of HSBC in New York has 1,000 pages of customer accounts records. 
he claims are evidence of an international money laundering scheme involving hundreds of billions of dollars by the global banking giant, which reportedly is under investigation by a U.S. Senate committee. John Cruz has delivered to WorldNet Daily customer account records he said he pulled from the HSBC computer system before he was fired. Cruz was terminated February 17, 2010, after two years at HSBC for poor performance, but he contends he was let go because senior management didn't want him to pursue his personal investigation. As for his comment, HSBC spokesman Rob Sherman issued a statement saying, we support efforts to protect the integrity of the financial system and yada, 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 all the usual stuff. Bennis is one of the biggest banks in the world, London-based HSBC, has about 7,500 offices in, in more than 80 countries and territories in Europe, North and South America, Asia-Pacific, and Middle East and Africa. In his position uh, as an account, account relationship manager, Cruz worked in the HSBC Southern New York region, which accounts for about 50% of HSBC's North American revenue. He was assigned to work with several branch managers to identify accounts in which HSBC might introduce additional banking services. He said he, was, he has first had knowledge and proof of how HSBC transferred billions of dollars through accounts linked to companies that do, did not exist. That's an old trick to do. But, you, you know, they get away with it because it's too, too big to take down, you see. It's too big. Uh, in other words, when these big ones go down, they can crash the rest of the economy. And they know it. So do all the politicians. So that, that's where that is there. Now there's two on vaccination. One is vaccinations. It's a good article that explains in, in almost baby talk what vaccines are, you know. And it says uh, vaccines are injections of material that contain weakened amounts of the disease germ that they are meant to protect against. They're set to work by causing the formation of antibodies, which are proteins that defend the body from an invasion by harmful germs. Orthodox medicine contends that we can only be absolved from the peril of infection by vaccination, which involves injecting into the system infectious material which is supposed to confer lifelong immunity, hence the term immunization. You notice too they want you to get boosters every other year now, eh? Vaccinations are now mandatory in order for a student to enter school. Any child who is not vaccinated is not allowed into school with the reason given that the child will put all the other children at risk for disease, which is nonsense. When I said years ago, if they've all, the rest of them have had vaccinations, they should be immune to whatever you've got if you've got anything at all. However, it's important to ask this question. If all the other children are vaccinated, and they go into that in fact, how could an unvaccinated child put any of these other children at risk? Only the child himself could be at risk for the disease, and that, that should be the business of that particular child and his or her parents. It should be virtually impossible if vaccinations actually work for an unvaccinated child who may get a particular disease to give it to other children who have been vaccinated. But in fact, vaccinations don't work. They're not effective. They don't give immunity. In addition, they're very dangerous. Alarming observation comes from a London practitioner of excellent reputation and long experience, Dr. Hubert Snow, senior surgeon at the Cancer Hospital of London, and he voices concern. He says, in recent years, many men and women in the prime of life dropped dead suddenly. Now, this is awfully, awfully important, this part here often after attending a feast or a banquet. I'm convinced that some 80% of these deaths are caused by the vaccinations they have undergone. They are well known to cause grave and permanent disease to the heart. I think if you remember, about two weeks or so ago, I mentioned about a person I know that's a heart and lung specialist, uses organ donators and so on. And 
and he says they won't take hearts under 25 for transfer. He says because uh, even though the blood vessels leading to the heart and from the heart are clean and everything else is good, uh, these the hearts of people over 25 or so, 26, some cases 27, have multiple um, uh, tiny ruptures in them. Tiny, tiny, tiny ruptures and infarctions, they call them. So uh, this guy is touching on something that, that is pertinent to that too. To this very thing, he says, convinces some 82% of these deaths are caused by vaccinations that were undergone. It's well known to cause grave and permanent disease to the heart. Because people at 25 shouldn't be having uh, little, little infarctions uh, all across their heart. It's a mess. Another protectioner, Dr. W.B. Clark of Indiana, says that cancer was practically unknown until compulsory vaccination with cowpox vaccine began to be introduced. I've had to deal with at least 200 cases of cancer, and I never saw a case of cancer in an unvaccinated person. Yet the government has mandated compulsory vaccinations. Most people trust vaccines to be safe and effective. The government is mandating children to be vaccinated at earlier and earlier ages, when they are very fragile and far more vulnerable to the introduction of foreign materials into their tiny bodies. Not only that, very young children don't have immune systems that will copy anything. To fight it. So there's something else at work here. This polio is virtually non-existent in the U.S. today. However, there's no credible scientific evidence that the vaccine caused polio to disappear. Before the SOC polio vaccine was introduced in 1953, the polio death rate in the U.S. had already declined by 47% on its own. It also declined by 55% in England. Other European countries also showed a similar decline. When the vaccine did become available, many European countries questioned its effectiveness and refused to inoculate their citizens. Yet, polio epidemics also ended in those countries without the vaccine. So, the number of reported cases of polio after mass inoculations with the vaccine was significantly greater than before mass inoculations. And in many states, the incidence of polio more than doubled after inoculations were introduced. In Rhode Island, there were there was a 450% increase after the vaccinations. And in Massachusetts, almost 650% increase in polio cases after the introduction of polio vaccinations. Uh, after the vaccine was introduced, cases of polio were often reported under another name, aseptic meningitis. I, I've said that for years. You understand um, uh, that that's really what they did. Once, oh, it's been working. See, there's no more. They did, they, it's just like the radiation thing, you know, and, and the levels of radiation. Oh, the half it and see it's safe. They, they basically said polio doesn't exist anymore. We've cured it, uh, and then uh, of course the same th- symptoms crop up, and you've got they call it uh, meningitis or encephalitis. This is um, rather than polio, even though they were counted as polio before the vaccine was introduced. In 1976, Dr. Jonas Salk, creator of the killed virus vaccine that was used throughout the 1950s, testified that the live virus vaccine produced by Dr. Sabin, which was used almost exclusively in the U.S. since the early 60s, was the principal, if not the sole cause, of all reported cases of polio in the United States since 1961. According to the Centers for Disease Control figures, 87% of all cases of polio in the U.S. between 73 and 1983 were caused by the vaccine. It's now admitted that since 1979, virtually every case of polio in the United States has been caused by the vaccine. It's the same thing the U.N. just reported. Uh, they're giving all these shots across the world. 
and in Africa and Nigeria, of course, they've got a new type of polio is much quicker to attack as well and cause all the symptoms. But it was caused by the United Nations, the World Health Organization, giving out all these vaccinations with a live virus, actually, which has caused a super virus now. The same situation holds true for nearly all other diseases, including diphtheria, measles, rubella, mumps, and whooping cough. In virtually all of these diseases, the incidence was dropping dramatically before the introduction of the vaccine, and since the introduction of the vaccine, close to 100% of all cases of the disease are in individuals who have been vaccinated for that particular disease, proving clearly that vaccinations are not effective, and they often cause the very disease they are supposed to prevent. They cause a lot more than that, uh, massive arthritis. And yet we have juvenile arthritis rampant after all the, the shots. Never, ha- never had that before. No one had it. And folk who are in their 30s and 40s coming down with, with chronic uh, rheumatoid arthritis. It's not a mystery as to why vaccinations are not effective. First, the natural immunity mechanism in the human body is designed to work when the disease develops in its natural way. Well, sure. I mean, it's, if you suddenly change a diet, and you know about 40% of the folk uh, who are whites are allergic to rice. They have all these symptoms and problems with their bowels if they eat the rice, but uh, they don't put it down to that. They don't know what caused it, generally. But the medicals do. Uh, because you didn't, get, you didn't come up through thousands of years eating rice in the West, you see. When the normal route of immune system stimulation is bypassed by injection of the microorganism, bacteria or virus through the skin, then effective immunity against the disease does not develop. One obvious factor proving that vaccinations are not effective is that an individual has to keep getting booster shots. If a person develops polio, measles, mumps, whooping cough or any other contagious disease, he has virtual lifelong immunity from one episode of the disease. But when an individual is vaccinated, he must keep getting booster shots at regular intervals. The booster shots are necessary, they say, because vaccinations don't work. <laughs> They're not effective, and neither are the boosters. Actually, the boosters act like... Uh, your first shot acts like a cocking, cocking the trigger and the hammer of a gun. And it's often when these boosters are given that uh, sometimes years later that it sets it off, and a whole bunch of problems hits the person almost immediately within two weeks. And they know this at the top, too. But they, do, they, know, they know all the nasty stuff it causes the public, and a lot of stuff they won't tell the public is nasty as well that it causes. But uh, they're not going to change. Their, 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 I really think there's more, more to it than that, because this ties in with depopulation and sterility. I have no doubt on this at all, personally, myself. That's my own personal opinion. But uh, it says here, one of the earliest vaccines introduced for general use in the U.S. was a pertussis vaccine for whooping cough, which was put into general use during the 1940s. Autism, a form of childhood schizophrenia, characterized by mental retardation, muteness, and inability to speak, lack of responsiveness to human contact, was not known or described, it says here, until 43, about the same time that vaccinations were introduced. In addition, monitors placed in the infants who have been vaccinated show severe alterations in breathing patterns after the DBT, diphtheria pertussis to tetanus shot. A precise breathing monitor called Cotwatch was used in a special study of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, and the children's breathing patterns were measured before and after DBT vaccination. The data clearly demonstrates that vaccination caused an extraordinary increase in episodes where breathing nearly ceased or actually stopped completely. And here they are blocking parents of, oh, you must have caused that to happen. Been doing that for years. 
That's, this is reality. And then you think all the doctors are nice and clean. Well, vaccine doctors was given at least $30 million to push vaccines. It says Dr. Paul Offit of the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia earned at least $29 million as part of a $182 million sale by the hospital of its worldwide royalty interests in the Merck Rototech vaccine. The amount of income distributed to Offit could be as high as $46 million. Offit has refused to say how much he made from the vaccine. The high price placed on the patient, uh, uh, the patents raises concerns over Offit's use of its former position on the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices to help create the market for rotavirus vaccine. They make the market, folks, by the newspapers, you know, oh my God, you know, everybody's terrified this disease may be, may be coming, say specialists. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, they pay these guys to, to really flog it to their patients in hospitals. Office claim to a share of the profits from Rototech revenues is based on his role as listed inventor on the cluster of patients that protect Merck's vaccine. Paul Offit has a great personal interest in Rototech's commercial success, and more than any other individual in the world, he found himself in a position to directly influence that success. Unlike most other patented products, the market for mandated childhood vaccines is created by the recommendation of an appointed body, the ACIP. So Offit was a member of the ACP for years. He was a member of, it, of the body that they went. So you get millions of dollars off it. Back with more after this. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the matrix and... I'll put all of these links up tonight at cuttingthroughthematrix.com in about an hour's time or so. So you can find them all there. And you should save these things too. It's handy to save and put together. Reading different articles on the same subject, you really put an awful lot together for yourself. And then, of course, you never lose it when the link goes down. Now we've got Daniel from the UK on the line. Are you there, Daniel? Uh, yeah, hello, Alan. Uh, can you hear me clearly enough? Yes, I can, yeah. Yeah, on a, just a, quickly, on a, on a medical note, you've been talking about medical uh, subject. Um, uh, have you ever heard of anything that um, is making women lose their hair? I read some recently about that. Uh, yeah, I did read something recently. They are losing their hair, yeah. yeah. Well, a, a friend of mine, a female friend of mine, uh, mentioned that in jest the other day. She's yeah. uh, about 28, 28. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you got any resources you can point me in the direction of to look at about that? Do you know what um, I mean? There was some article I read just recently within the last month about uh, some more and more women losing their hair earlier and earlier. Uh, at one time it used to be kind of a hereditary condition, but there's something else going on here. It's obviously not hereditary, and it's not uh, it's not the old stuff. So something is going on that's making it happen and it's got to be either something they're eating or getting injected with. It could be the food itself. It could even be tinkering around with different kind of hormones, uh, supplements and things. It's hard to say just yet. I'm sure they already know in the National Health Service what's causing it at the top anyway, but they won't tell the public down below, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, And also, just a couple of little questions for you. Um, Have you ever heard of the Council of World Affairs? The Council of World Affairs? Yeah. 
Uh, well, I'm sure I've got it on my list of councils. I've got, I've got uh, a whole folder dedicated to hundreds and hundreds of councils. So it's probably related to many other councils. They all are related to each other. Yeah. I bet. I mean, I'll tell you where I got that from. Was um, I read a paper. It's about 18 or 20 pages long. And it's, enti- well, it's like a book, but very short. It's entitled The Occult Technology of Power. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also goes under the title, I think, The Arcane Technology of Power or something like that. And it's very, very good. I mean, it's done in the context of an elite, one of these mm-hmm. people, yeah. explaining to his son. And oh, yeah, on yeah. The- yeah, it's had many names that, too. Um, do, you, do you know who it's by? Oh, it, it was... I know that uh, the, the famous... Um, Poet put one out a long time ago when he was talking to his son, who was actually a little dragon. <laughs> but it was, that's where it was copied from. Uh, and he's explaining how to use control, how to deceive people, how to use people. Uh, and it's a question and answer. But how do I do that, Dad? Well, this is how you do it. And many uh, uh, things have, have come out of that, that writing um, to do with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's very believable. Everything in there is, is what you talk about. Everything. Now, and the last question would be, um, when we were talking about Beria and this um, Pavlov's um, Manual of Psychological Warfare and all this, there's all this, always this emphasis on psychiatrists. And oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Psychiatrists are getting more power and stuff. Do you think psychiatry, that's on the point? Yeah, psychiatry started up as part of the eugenics program, in fact. Yeah. Do, do you think, well, my question is, do you think at some point a group of these psychiatrists, government psychiatrists, get together to make some sort of a generic test for everybody, which will effectively decide your fate, whether you can work here, whether you can live there, or whether that's you just get taken exactly, to prison or something like that. That's exactly where Pavlov was going with it all, and Skinner was going for it all. Uh, Charles Galton Darwin, in the next million years, talked about creating special sects of, of, uh, sects of society for special purposes, too. You're, you're bang on, that's what it's for, yeah. It's going to test everybody, and that'll decide our future, really, won't it? Uh, that's what they did in the Soviet Union at the age of five, six, seven. They knew what they were going to make you become for work for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. But uh, thanks for calling. From Hamish, myself, Frontier Canada, it's good night to me. Your God, your God's go with you.